this is Lance Howard. Welcome back to the Healing Voice Podcast. This episode is the second live recording of a community talk that started as a response to the tragic events happening in the United States related to the Black Lives Matter movement. After the first talk, many friends, family, and community members wanted further discussion on the truth of racism, healing our past, and how to create change in our society. So in this episode, the discussion on racism continues as we hear stories from a variety of walks of life. If you listened to the first talk, episode 5, you realize that racism is not a simple issue of black and white. It is far more complicated than that, but can be boiled down to systemic division between people groups. There is one race, the human race. Biology and anthropology have proven that there is more variety within a group of people than there is between people groups. Our world and the U.S. has a painful history of division and slavery. We all need to find the courage to care enough about one another's experiences. At the end of the day, we all want to live our lives in peace. We all want a safe world for our families. We can only have that world if we work at it together. Together is how healing can take place. So I just wanted to thank you all for coming again and this is a response to several people who wanted to take part in more conversation and so here we are and there have been a few people who either got stuck in traffic out of town or couldn't make it at the last minute who um, won't be here but it is being recorded again and I know some of you were here last week and others weren't and I think those who weren't saw the either heard the podcast version or saw the recording on YouTube um, if you haven't seen that seen or heard it I would definitely recommend seeing it can you hear this where you are Chris yeah. that's good okay right there though okay yeah yeah gotcha uh, so based on last week's discussion you know I did a bulk uh, or a lot of talking and I'd like to try to open it up a little bit more for more storytelling sharing and maybe questions if there was anything that stood out from last week either that i that i said or anything that um was impactful that maybe needed a little more unpacking um i wanted to know if anyone had anything from last week at the top of their memory that they wanted to to ask any questions about at all anything from last week no is there sure come on up (laughs) 
right, so uh, the the one thing that really that really got me from last week, I was I was listening to it, like I started watching it from before, and I decided I was just gonna you know listen to it while I was at work, and uh, the one thing that really impacted me, like I had to stop it because it brought me to tears, was the uh, the story about the well. You go into your your neighbor's house about the well, mm-hmm. and it was it hit me that that I operate in a certain type of way, like it's 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 a constant, mm-hmm. like I don't it's something that it's something that I don't think anybody really realizes that the whole thing about the like okay if I'm on somebody's property that says that hey you know just come over. You don't have to ask every single time. You don't have to do that. But in my mind, you know, when you said it, I was like, yeah, you know, if anything comes up broken, missing, stolen, whatever, or somebody sees me on the property, yeah, you know, but I know that I know that people don't think like that. And I realized in that moment that it's it's a con- that's how I operate when I go out from my from my front door or when I'm back home or when I'm in a store or this is how this is like a constant thing so I'm not not I'm not naturally being myself I'm always in my adaptive self when I engage with the world and at some point it's going to break down you know what I mean like it's it's just how it is Mm -hmm. thank you Chris oh no Yeah. Do you want to rehash that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So he he was explaining that his he has a neighbor that says, hey, you know, he gets water from from their well, and he asks every single time, like every single time, hey, is it all right if I get water from your well? And the you know his neighbor was saying was saying that. You don't have to ask you don't you don't i mean it's okay if you come over just come over and get get the water but in in his mindset and and even in my mindset like i totally understood because i know if i'm in a situation or if i'm in a in an area that i'm not the i'm not the dominant i know if i if if i'm in say i'm like a couple streets up if someone sees me on somebody else's property they're gonna look at me and they don't if they don't know me then they're gonna look at me like okay he's a threat he's going he's doing something that he's not supposed to be doing not knowing the whole situation not knowing that the neighbor has actually said you know they can come over and get water so it, it it's just it's a, it's a domino effect like I know I can come over here but this neighbor might not know and if this neighbor calls the cops or anything like that then I'm gonna have to explain to the cops. So I'm gonna have to make somebody believe something that they have no idea about. So they're just gonna go with their gut is is my is my understanding. And so I don't wanna be in that situation. So every single time I'm be like, hey, is it all right if I go come over? Every every single time I would do the same thing. Like it's just it's out of question. So it's it's one of those things that I was taught as you know as early as seven, eight, nine. Like, yeah, you're you're cool here. You know, you can operate a certain way here, but you can't operate in that way there. So you have to constantly make sure everything, you know, your P's and Q's, you don't want to get caught slipping. So if you're caught slipping, then it's, you know, it's, it's so much to unpack. (laughs) It's so much to unpack under, you know, just 
just from a just from a neighbor saying that you can come to the well. Thank you, Chris. That's all I got right now. Did you understand? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Come on up. sister shared with me this past week that I just I don't I would never think about this at all but she lives in a, a on a street with you know townhouses and there's a little cul-de-sac at the end so she has a neighbor they're about four houses four townhouses down from her and he came running over to her one day and said Maggie there's um a little girl like maybe fell off her bike or something. He said, would you go check and see if she's okay? And my sister looked at him kind of like, well, you know, why didn't you just check? And she said, I could never do that. She said, I'm a black man. And if I looked after somebody else's child, he said, I just, there was too many possible repercussions. And she, she said, you know, I never thought about that at all. And it just, it saddened me and it made me more aware. Thank you. Roger and the last few weeks and even over the last year thanks to Lance I've done a lot of soul searching and looking inside myself and I realized there's an element of racism in me and maybe it's because I've inherited it from all my ancestors thousands of years ago they probably hated the tribe that lived next to them and that stuff is filtered down and, and it came down to my family especially on my father's side because i have my grandfather on my father's side uh, he may not have been overtly racist but he was uh, an example of that is uh, i grew up just outside of wichita kansas and my grandfather came down to visit me one time and my father was driving, my grandfather was on the passenger side, and I was in the middle. Now, my grandfather liked to, to kind of play, play practical jokes on people, but I didn't always take it very well. Like at dinner time, he would, he would say, Roger, hand me the butter. And I'd reach for the butter, and he'd take my elbow, and he'd push my thumb into the butter. He liked doing that kind of stuff. But in this particular day, we were driving through the black section of Wichita, and there were some black children playing on the sidewalk. And my grandfather reached over and grabbed my arm and held it up and started shaking it back and forth. He said, Roger, wave at the little black kids. I, I felt terrible at the time. I, I resisted that and I just, it, it showed me what kind of a racist he was. Um, but he was also, uh, of my two grandfathers, he's the one that showed more interest in me. My other grandfather 
on my mother's side, well-educated town, a small town newspaper editor. Uh, there was a, a clan gathering in, in the 1920s in this town and, and they, all the businessmen were trying to get my grandfather to join the clan. And he refused. And there was a lot of pressure put on him to join the Ku Klux Klan and he refused to do it, which I respected but he's also the grandfather that never paid any attention to me. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. But I realize that this stuff filters down through the generations. And my father, although I never heard him say very much that was uh, racist, but I, there was one incident that I do remember. Uh, he was in living in a retirement home in southern part of Texas. And he was complaining to me one day. He said, he said, that hotel down there, a bunch of darkies are taking over the hotel. Well, these were people from India, dark-skinned people from India. But I, and then his his racism just came bubbling to the top, and I and I just wondered how much of that I have bubbling inside of me. And I think in certain circumstances that uh, it's possible that I act that way. And I'm going to share a little incident that happened here at Raven's Roost. Uh, during this last year, uh, we had a party inside, and and uh, people were sitting around drinking wine. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll share some of what I have. I had some some hard cider, and I brought the hard cider down. I think three or four cans, and I put them on the counter, and got to talking with everyone. And and I looked back, and the cans of cider, a hard cider, was still there. Nobody was drinking it. And I thought, well, nobody's taking advantage of what I brought to to the party. And um, one of our young men, Anthony, was behind the counter and talking to a friend. And uh, a little later, I looked back and the cans were all gone. And, um, and Anthony was gone too. And I thought, well, he surely wouldn't take that, would he? And so I started looking around making sure nobody else was drinking my hard ciders. I couldn't find the empty cans anywhere. I looked all over. And then in my mind, I started thinking, maybe Anthony took them. And I called his mother. And she, uh, she said, she talked to Anthony and Anthony swore he didn't do it. And she said, Anthony's coming down, come down to talk to you. And so Anthony came down and with a couple of other people and we had a, a conversation and I humbly apologized to Anthony for um, me being suspicious of him. And I, I think that part of that suspicion came from the fact that Anthony's a black boy. And I, I felt horrible about that. And this is an opportunity I felt that I have, I have a, this is an experience that I can take and learn from. So I started processing that and I processed it a lot. And um, I, I think I gained from the experience, but finding myself accusing someone of doing something and feeling like a part of that might've been because Anthony was black just made me feel real bad. So um, I, I don't expect Anthony to ever forgive me for that, but I sure felt bad about what I did and it's it's given me an opportunity to learn from it and grow from it. Thanks. Thank you.
sir. Come on up. My name's Yolanda and I, I live here and uh, I'm Latina from uh, California. Uh, I guess I'm, uh, my mother was born in California. Uh, so I'm kind of second generation, but uh, grand, grandparents, we are products of our, our, uh, our families. And a uh, little story about my grandmother. My grandmother, you know, she got her uh, naturalization when she was, uh, you know, I mean, she came when she was 35 from Mexico, you know, with uh, the influx of um, the migrant workers coming in, they were paying, I mean, they were shipping, I mean, they were busing Mexicans from from Mexico to to work the fields in Delano, California. We had um, Filipinos there that were brought in. And, you know, it was, um, again, a, um, you know, we lived on the west side, uh, the blacks, the Mexicans, the Filipinos lived on the west side, the whites lived on the other side. So it was just pretty, pretty uh, segregated in, in that way. But my grandmother was, um, you know, she, uh, at that time, they were allowing people to take their government uh, schooling in Spanish because it was uh, the, the, the Treaty Guadalupe Hidalgo, the, you know, Mexicans that were, you know, in the west were able to keep their language. Uh, but she used to, you know, I go, Grandma, you live here, you know, how come you don't speak English? And she, she, she made this comment that I do not want to be like the blacks because the blacks were brought here and they lost their language. And she felt like, you know, she wanted to maintain her, her you know, home, homeland. And that was a, a sad part. She was a bit racist also, you know, in that, you know, uh, but, but again, back to she, uh, you know, yeah, that's, my story as far as uh, my family is. The other story I have is that I was living in Los Angeles, which is not that, you know, again, Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles. It's, uh, you know, it was a rough time in, in the late, uh, the early 90s, I guess. No, late, late 80s. And, you know, I was um, getting out of a, a building there on 6th and Westmoreland, and I uh, was walking to my car, and I, you know, a couple of black men jumped me and you know they surprised me and I was you know I was struggling and you know and so um they did take my purse they were wanted to steal my car but I wouldn't let them uh I had some golf clubs in the back and I had just you know I didn't want them to steal it but but uh I was just getting into golf sorry yeah but but anyway so after that I mean I I uh come to I mean uh, every time I see anybody sneaking up behind me um, I get kind of you know an, an african-american person walking you know you know towards me I you know it, it's just kind of you know kind of I get up and um, no it's it's a uh, something that you know you have to work not all um, uh, blacks are bad but you know there are glad apples and and you know I think we we need to um, you know you know, acknowledge people. Now I, you know, when I'm walking, I, you know, I turn around and acknowledge, hey, you know, you know, and, and I'm ready, you know, if anybody black, white, you know, Mexican, whatever that are, you know, trying to hurt me, I'm, I'm going to be in like, you know, in, in some, um, you know, alert um, for my, because of my experience. And, and uh, anyway, I think um, I've said enough. Thank you.
it is interesting how you know we carry the trauma whatever the experience might be we carry that with us and in some way um, we share it too you know I was taught from a young age I heard a lot of things about white people growing up you know and whatever the whatever the experiences were that my grandparents and my parents had I had to collect that information I was being told that this was the way to navigate the world right because of their experiences um, the experiences are what they are and it's it's what we choose to do with the experience once we've had it right it's not that as she said there are bad apples in every group and it only takes one or two or a few bad apples to cause that fear to rise and then and the fear begins to dominate the way you perceive the whole group right um and in this way this is what the nature of healing is is about right is that we have these traumas we live out certain stories and and drama over and over again even when nothing's happening we're living it out up here i'm seeing a situation and and i'm attached to i'm attached to the situation um because of something in my past or because of of someone in my family right I heard a certain story and what I'm seeing right before me seems to fit that story so I immediately attach the meaning to what I'm seeing which may not be true most times is not true like you know um, I can observe myself being the black man outside of my friend's house who's there to get water but I'm the white neighbor who has no clue who this man is and it seems like he's snooping around, right? Um, these are the types of things that it's, it's very difficult to get into the other person's shoes and take a look at what's happening. And, and realize that our initial reaction to blame someone or to think that someone must be guilty or someone must be at fault that initial reaction is, um, that's a real problem. And it's difficult to undo the damage that has been done. It's difficult to unwind <laughs> or, um, everything that we've been told, everything that we've experienced, everything the media seems to present to us about the relationship between whites or blacks or Hispanics and Italians or whatever the group might be. Are there any more stories? Does anyone else like to share? like Bruce is coming up okay <laughs>
So there's some hot dogs and sausages over that are ready. And I had my first two, so I'm happy, hoping other people help me finish them <laughs> off there. They're all nice and warm. But uh, yeah, I think everybody's got some stories. Uh, sure, okay. Um, I mean, I was born in Minnesota. I'm sure it was an all-white town, a little town, about 500 people. So as far as I knew, there weren't any people there, but that's not where I grew up. My dad was in the Air Force, so we moved all around. Ended up here in Anchorage, which we all liked, and that's where my, my parents retired. And uh, I went to East High School, which I think is, you know, is pretty diverse. Although when I was going to school, it was mostly black and white and maybe some natives and not the not the diverse community that it is today and uh, must have been one day when i was had missed the bus so i had to walk from my house to school which was doable and got there late and so i'm probably rushing through the hallway and trying to get my first class and there's these three colored women girls whatever coming down the hallway all talking to each other and uh i must have Bumped into one slightly as I was passing her by. And uh, next thing I know, uh, she is pushed for me from behind and I'm almost sprawling on the floor because, you know, because I had touched her, I'd bumped her or whatever. And, you know, I, I just figured it was, you know, a bad day for her or that, you know, she had gotten, you know, a fair amount of disrespect in her life and felt like I was doing more of the same. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've never really had any close black friends, although I worked for uh, a computer store doing computer sales and so forth, and we had some nice black guys there that uh, I got along with. Uh, a gentleman named Covey, whose uh, parents have some apartments in this area, actually, and so his family seems pretty well off overall. And uh, he and I got along fairly well, and we still run into each other. and have good memories of working with each other. And then there was Billy, who was one of the other salesmen, the only black salesman. And uh, he liked to drive his red Audi, you know, just like uh, a lot of folks seem to like their Cadillacs and nice cars and everything. And uh, he and I were in the, the storeroom once and he was looking for some item. And so there were some shelves in front of him and I said, Billy, raise your hand. So he's reaching up. I said, repeat after me. I believe. And uh, he got it, kind of. I don't know if you guys do, but <laughs> kind of a church reference, whatever. <laughs> he laughed and did fine. You don't get it? Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know, we, we both got it. I think of, uh, you know, the, the church services where they're making you raise your hands and the, the Spirit's going to come into you and everything. And I don't think he and I were quite along that line, but he got that I was making a joke about it. Um, I don't know. I, I, again, I think everybody's got his story. I hope Mr. Macon will come up because I heard him talk at the... Unitarian Church a long time ago about his experiences growing up in Mississippi and and uh, switching over to Alaska and all and I thought it was a real nice uh, talk that he gave. Thanks. Thank you, Bruce.
it's um it's on a eight foot cord here. That racism is when you're not looking at the person, you're looking at their the color of their skin. And so I remember being very shocked when I came boom up against my racism. I was looking at this couple, you know, this really black man and this blonde woman. And I was so judgmental, like, man, why is it when these black men go for white women, it's got to be a blonde. You know, it's not a brunette. It's not a you know, Hispanic, it's a blonde. Why is this? And I'm sitting there judging all this, these people. And then they get closer to me and I realize, oh my God, those are my friends. I know these people. And these people were people I knew. Once they got close to me and I saw like their faces and not just the color, these were such straight, shooters, boring people, church going people. They had three kids and they, it was nothing like a black man having a, you know, one night stand with a blonde woman. It was a nice couple of people. And I thought, oh my God, Gina. So I think we all have racist thoughts when we somehow don't see the people and we see the color of the skin. This is Macon. Macon Roberts. Well, good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, yeah. Uh, and thank you so much for letting me come up and share. Uh, I was, um, well, let's see. Where do I start? Oh yeah, yeah. I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, or Mississippi, and um, spent there several years, and then eventually moved to California. Okay. Yeah, I <clears throat> when I was uh, in Mississippi, my sister took me off the bus uh, because I was younger, and uh, I thought, oh my goodness, that was uh, it was really kind of bad in those days because uh, you just you couldn't do anything or you people didn't want you to do anything. So it changed over the years. Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I went all the way to the front and, and then uh, she came 
and yanked me all the way to the back. And so that's why, that's how I found out uh, things really wasn't right, uh, helpful. And as, a, as I grew up, I really wanted to um, use what I had to uh, do the best I can I could with it because it was it was really really tough in those days in the Delta yeah. and um, I'll finish by saying that uh, because people helped me and taught me what places to go in or stay away from, uh, of, of what places to uh, to be a um, a young fella who, in those days, in, in those days. There were no, there were no, there was no two groups together. People would throw you, throw you in the back of the bus. You know, I had to do that a lot. So, um, um, oh, oh yeah, even the swimming pool, they took you out of that. It was only, a, only uh, Caucasian only in the swimming pool so um, it was really tough but the thing of it is was that um, I was lucky to get my oldest sisters and so forth to help me to do, navigate um, on what's what was available and um, eventually e eventually eventually I, I learned eventually I learned how to uh, I learned how to be uh, what's the word for it yeah how to navigate the system and being and be real um, grateful in, in, in those days and the, the situation and everything that uh, people kind of helped me to get to get to it but I was very I was very fortunate as time went on how much I learned and how much I was able to uh, uh, be real nice to other people who were nice to me yeah okay thank you so much didn't mean to be too long-winded but i just wanted to share that with you okay thank you as well uh, share a little story and just um, 
uh, with regard what Macon just said, I think, um, you know, I, um, you know, I'm kind of far away from that, um, that system that Macon grew up in. However, to this day, um, I always wondered, you know, why is Macon insisting on getting a receipt for a piece of gum and a bag for it uh, when he walks out of the store? And um, Macon does that to this day, you know, and it's kind of like 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 being accused of, of theft if you are, you know, walking out and you get caught with, uh, with something without a tag. Um, and, and, and the other thing is that I kind of observed is uh, Macon always, always, always locks the door. Um, and um, that's something really foreign to me. I mean, you leave it, you leave it open. <laughs> Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, Macon needs to have that security. Now, another little story is when I, um, when I was working at UAA and I managed the swimming pool there for many, many years. Now, at some point, um, people, I mean, my chemicals were way off and I had to just remind people to shower before they go in. And um, I thought, well, what's, what's a humorous way to, um, to, to remind them, you know, to shower before you go in the pool? And I found this, this cute picture of, um, of a about 10-year-old girl in a fire hydrant, and, and she had like, like little braids, little dreadlocks, and, and, and she was having a ball, you know, with a, with a running fire hydrant, you know, just splashing around in there. And so I put that on the door and said, well, um, you know, taking shower is fun. Take one before you go in the pool. <laughs> and, and I thought I was pretty clever. And uh, then um, I had a very, very upset patron who said, well, you are implying um, that uh, black people are not clean, uh, that they don't have showers at home, that they need to use the hydrant. And, um, and I felt so, so distressed about that. Um, and, you know, all my apologizing didn't help, but, um, but that was kind of like, like the, the unintentional uh, racism that I kind of um, um, produced, basically. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. You know, um, something I could add on to the experience at the grocery store is since the invention of the self-checkout line, I, in some sense, have gotten used to it, but it's always uncomfortable to walk into the self-check I expect to be watched a little closer than others. And I definitely do not leave the self-check without the receipt in my hand. Um, and it's the same kind of ideas. It's just the, the acknowledging that there is the potential that you could be asked or accused of not paying for something.
Any other stories? How's it going, everybody? My name is Dennis, and I'm from Texas. I grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, right around to the age of 10, 11 years old. And it's a whole different world down there. You know, being raised as a young boy down in Texas, we were taught the, um, like Brother Macon was saying, and and Chris and a couple of others. Just growing up as a black young man down there, you're taught a certain degree of rules, you know, how to navigate life and make sure that you're safe, make sure that your intentions aren't misperceived. Um, and so going from that environment where it was a heavily racist environment um, to up here, a place like Anchorage, Alaska, where I went to school at West for three years, graduated from Bartlett. Those are two of the top five most diverse schools in America. Um, Bartlett and, and West and East High also being another third in that top five, just in all, all from Anchorage, Alaska. And so it was a huge change um, Growing up in a military base like Wichita Falls, um, being taught certain unsaid rules of the South, um, to coming up here and being around a very diverse population. You know, I got to meet a lot of people from different cultures and di different nationalities, and it almost untrained. I, kept, well, I retrained myself, you know, it, I started to, to see people for who they were and all of those unsaid rules, all of those um, different ways that my parents and the community down in Texas taught me to navigate as a young black boy kind of started to fall to the wayside because I realized that there was nothing to worry about. You know, everybody was diverse, everybody was different, you know, there's all of these different cultures and friends and different people for me to learn from, I felt like I didn't have anything to worry about. And I always took pride in that because I felt like I was multicultural to a degree. Um, I married my wife who is, who's white and got to know my, my in-laws and learned how to navigate in, in a totally different world. So yeah, I took, I took pride in that. I felt like, you know, all of this racist stuff, maybe it's not as bad as, you know, everybody in the South growing up kind of taught me and led me to believe. Um, the caveat is in the whole retraining process, as I learned, you know, different cultures, um, white culture and how my fam my wife's family would do things um, up against how my family would traditionally do things. You know, I started to notice differences and none of those differences were good or bad. They were just different, you know. 
Um, but then I started watching my family and how they responded to my retraining. And I, and I watched my wife's family and, and how they, um, how they processed and, and perceived my movements and, and how I navigated life. And one of the things that I noticed is that we all gravitate towards the familiar. You know, we all seek and, and are more comfortable in the areas of life that we can digest because they're familiar to us. Um, and at the same time, it's very, very easy to see something that is not similar or familiar and prejudge or um, develop a perception in, in our minds that isn't accurate. And I think we're all guilty of that. I think it's something that just as the human race, you know, we we all have to be aware of. And, and so that's my encouragement to everybody that when you see someone who's different, whether their hair is pink or whether they have piercings all over, tattoos, or maybe it's a skin color, or maybe they just do things that, you know, we're just not used to seeing happen. Um, my encouragement is that before we judge or before we arrive at any preconceived notions about that individual, um, give them the benefit of the doubt, get to know them, build relationships, start a dialogue, start communication. Um, and that's what I think is so beautiful about what's going on right now is that, you know, there's communication and dialogue um, that crosses age, that crosses nationality, culture, gender. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. I think that's what America is all about. Um, and so the more that we as individuals strive to, to connect to people who are different and to dialogue with people who we don't understand, um, the quicker it's going to be a better place for all of us. And so thank you to everybody who's here. Thank you for everybody who shared their story. Um, I think this is great. Thank you, Lance, for hosting. This is it's a beautiful thing, man. Thank you. So thank, thank you. you guys. The conversation really is um, valuable and it's it's really important to hear your story. It's important for all of us to, to hear each other's experiences in this because, you know, we can be, be led to think it only goes one way or the other, but it's on, it's in everyone's experience it's in everyone's life and how it gets passed down from one generation to the next is is also part of the the issue it's what the children hear the parents saying that will carry it on if 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 we as parents adults teachers elders if we can 
be honest about the trauma and the pain that exists through racism and division. If we can be honest about that, but also make it um, a valuable point that when we cultivate communication and community with diverse groups of people, we can better understand each other and we can better retell the story instead of letting the same stories kind of turn over and over again. There actually is more <laughs> that we have in common than anything else, right? But for whatever reason, there's um, for, for, for a very long time, there's been an underlying tone of misunderstanding and some fear and they mix and they play with each other. The misunderstanding and the fear, they kind of work together and they tumble. And if we can just have experiences like this where we realize that, oh, we are actually all experiencing the same things. And in fact, as humans, we all share the same values. Those values are things like peace, I'm not interested in war or fighting, and I don't think anyone else here is. And I would guess that most of the people I interact with on a day-to-day -day basis are not interested in, in fighting or, or having war or arguing about anything. Um, another value I think we all have in common is love. We all wanna be accepted. We all want to be appreciated for who we are. I think another value that we all share is freedom. That is the, uh, the ability to be yourself in, in all places and at all times, uh, to be able to express yourself and to be able to take care of yourself. All of this is summarized in, in the word freedom. Um, are there any other single word values that you feel like all of humanity shares? I said peace and love um, and freedom. Are there any other values? Acceptance. Yes. Kindness. Awareness. Awareness. Mm -hmm. Safety. Absolutely. Gratitude. Respect. Respect. Thank you. What was that? Hope. That's a good word, definitely. Yeah. We want the same things for ourselves, our family members, our children. And when we can start seeing, you know, uh, I, I don't remember now who it was who shared the story of the black man saying I can't go and help the young girl who fell on the bike. Um, it's obvious that we all agree that should not be the case. It should be the case, right? That we all see each other as potential family members, right? And that whoever may fall off a bike at any point in time can be serviced and helped by anyone who's walking by. Right? It's that opportunity to be the Good Samaritan. But if, for whatever reason, uh, there's a stigma or society for some reason says that you cannot be the Good Samaritan, we have a real, real problem. Where change is able to take place, 
right? Because it gives someone has the opportunity to serve uh, someone else or to help someone else. But the cultural belief or this stigma is so strong that they can't even make a proper sacrifice in that moment. Um, that's a, a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing. That's all I can really say about that. So my thoughts on creating change, you know, I talked a little bit about it last week and talked about healing and there are so many things that have happened in history as it relates to movements and protests and trying to build organizations to help us facilitate change within communities. And after hundreds of years of this, uh, you know, pain moving forward, I am starting to realize that organizations, you know, rules, boundaries, protocols, bureaucracies, governments, don't really create the change we're saying that we find important at this point or valuable at this point. Like we've given all of that a chance for a very, very long time. And we do come up with some, some good programs, <laughs> but here we are still having to deal with the same conversation. And is my opinion that when the community takes an intimate stand like this and what we did last week, that's where the real change is. It's real people touching each other and not creating more um, bodies of people or, um, or, or organizations because then there's still some level of d division, right? It's this organization or that organization or will you um, commit your time or um, donate your money to this place or that place? The, if we can create a story of unity that starts right here instead of thinking oh we need to do something else right this idea of having to do and be under this pressure to create something new instead of just connecting with one another um, being able to tell our stories and get these issues out on the table and not just to discuss them but to heal them I'm not seeing any true change happen. And, and I would think that, or I'm thinking we all can see that, right? Just like it's been a long time. It's been a long time for the United States of America to, to wake up and have this type of conversation. And um, we've done a lot of writing and we've held a lot of signs and we've, voted a lot of people in and out and we're still struggling with the same issues. I'd like to say that, you know, if, if I can't look within myself and change, then I can't, I also can't facilitate the change. And it just begins one person at a time. One, it begins one heart at a time. 
And here's something that has been life-changing for me lately. It's the ability to recognize any level of negativity within myself about any individual or even any situation. I may perceive a threat or a problem in any situation or because of any person, the way they, they look or the group that they're hanging out with or whatever the case might be. I'm really starting to understand that I need to look within myself first, even when I think there's a problem somewhere else, instead of looking outside of me going, yep, that's the problem right there. You see, that's the problem. That thought process immediately puts me in a place of self-righteousness. It immediately gives me a soapbox. Um, it immediately puts me at odds with the thing or the person I'm saying that's the problem. As much as I don't like realizing that <laughs> whatever characteristic I see in another person that I don't like is somehow a reflection of myself. Just the fact that I can see it and recognize it and then become bitter about it is not their problem. That's, that's my problem. We are not educated um, around emotional intelligence. We're not um, taught to look within and to think deeply at a personal level about how we're feeling in situations, right? Um, but we definitely are educated or taught from a young age to blame and to look outside of ourselves like, oh, that group over there, that's, that's a problem. They are a problem. Um, and for the human ego, that feels really good to be able to pinpoint the problem, right? It's never me. It's always someone else. Um, the ego is something that each one of us carries. It is, it is built into our human nature and it is the very thing that keeps us divided, keeps us hating. Um, and I once heard someone say, I, I'd never thought about this before. I don't, I didn't do any research on it myself, but I heard someone talk about boarding schools in, in Europe ages ago and how before um, colonialism began to spread from Europe, there was already a history of uh, families sending their uh, young men, especially to these schools and someone I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was or where I heard this, but they insinuated that um, shipping the kids off to school was not helping them develop into um, moral, responsible, ethical human beings and made the next step of colonialism and the way that's affected the world was kind of birthed out of this history of the kids being shipped off. And these were the next generation of leaders who would go out and um, discover the new worlds. I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, again, I didn't do any of my own research on that, but I thought it was worth thinking about just from a human standpoint that we all grow up wherever we grow up and who we turn into as, adult, as adults um, is the result 
of how we were taught, how much we were loved, how much connection we felt, um, how much self-worth we were allowed to, to feel. Um, someone mentioned, I'm sorry, I don't remember who mentioned, I happened to, um, this particular grandfather happened to be the grandfather who didn't give me much attention. Like that's the root, right? It's like at that young age, grandpa did not give you a certain amount of attention. What does a human being do or how does a human being act when they are lacking that love, affection, attention, hands-on, um, emotional support, and the world keeps telling them you're not good enough or, or, or the world is telling them you actually are better than these people over here. So you take a wounded human being and also give them pride. You give them arrogance by saying you happen to be better than this group. But also that same human being is collecting this information from their own family members that says you're not good enough. <laughs> um, what I'm saying is, is it's no wonder that we continue to experience the division and the hatred that we do when we're just trying to know ourselves, love ourselves, um, find acceptance, find love, all the values that we just talked about, peace and freedom, but all of that has to happen within me first before I can in any way um, be a part of that change in the world. But I have to find it for me. I have to find love and peace and freedom right here. If there's any amount of self-hatred within me, then it makes it just the fact that I will be hateful towards someone. That's that's just the fact of the matter. So when we talk about change, when we talk about healing and conversation, I need that healing and conversation and change to start with Lance. I have to start it just with me. Lance, what is your problem? What What is it really that you are struggling with to like that other person? Stop thinking it's about them and just take a good look at yourself. What is really going on? What self-hatred self did I, uh, in a way, inherit through my lineage or my family because of the things that I heard or the way my parents or grandparents or siblings or cousins uh, treated me? The, the issue of racism is such a large, large problem, but it can... <laughs> It's looking at the macro scale is really too much for us, I believe. Again, we've tried organizations and institutions and so on, right? That's trying to affect it at a macro scale and, and we're still dealing with the same thing. But if we can come to the heart and deal with the division and hatred I feel just within myself, we just might begin to get somewhere and, and change things and make a difference in our own communities, which starts right within our own homes, right? Like <laughs> that's the first community. It's uh, my brain and my heart is community one, and then it's 
me, my children, my spouse, my friends, it branches out from there. You have any thoughts, Kim? Kim Perez? Many thoughts. I liked what you said last week about um, the colors within your your own group, and I, I thought that was interesting. living through history in the making and <laughs> and um, I've actually gone into just researching and learning as much as I can about history because um, as Lance is pointing out this has been going on for hundreds of years and still we're here with the same conundrum um, something that I learned recently that stood out to me is how what I learned in history is the I have a dream speech. Um, what I learned just a few days ago is that a few years after that speech, Martin Luther King went on TV and said, the dream that I had, um, how did he say it? The dream that I had has become a nightmare and we have integrated into a house that is on fire. And it floored me. I, I, I actually heard somebody quoting it and I stopped what I was doing to fact check it. And I, I actually watched those words come out of Martin Luther King's mouth and I thought, so now what? What do we do in this house that's on fire? And that was well before I was born. Um, and a movement of love is huge because there's so much division on the political side of it that um, as I'm learning more and more of the history that I was never taught, uh, Martin Luther King was very aware of and still was not able to make a dent in. So um, it starts with our communities and something that we have as a wonderful experience in our generation is that we're in an age of digital technology. So our communities are larger than they were 50 years ago. And we can think globally, act locally, and recognize that our local community is bigger because of technology. And we can act from there. So, yeah. Thank you, Kim. You know, I want to offer um, again, we're talking about such a large issue and um, I don't think it's far-fetched to realize that just as individuals we carry so much weight and baggage of our own that sometimes 
we're doing all we can just to deal with ourselves, right? Just to carry on another day. And I want to say that in the doing part, right? Just like, what do I do? I, I, I know it can be, this has been an overwhelming time for many of us because of what's been going on. And I think just doing what you can for yourself first, finding that um, division or uh, inconsistency, as in you might find yourself saying one thing but acting a different way, right? Dealing with the in internal warfare that we deal that we hold inside as humans, starting there is is the place to start. It's good to know we have a huge macro problem, but then the what do we do just begins behind closed doors. Who are you when no one's watching? What are you saying to yourself when, when no one else is listening but you? Um, what am I saying about, what am I saying about white people when no one else is around? Really taking a good look at, at myself. Are there any other thoughts, stories, um, questions? No? Okay. Okay, so um, I totally agree with what you're saying on on looking within me. Uh, you know, just being here and hearing stories, and you know, going through the talks and everything like that. You know, it's 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 really kicking up stuff that I didn't know that was there. Like, for instance, I wanted to bring my kids here. Uh, I gave them the option, like last minute, do you wanna come, you know, everything like that. You know, at first it was like, okay, I want you to come because I, you need to hear these conversations. But at the same time, I was just kinda, I didn't, it speaks exactly to what you were saying. There are certain things I was taught on how to operate that I don't want to teach my kids, but at the same time, I feel if I don't teach them to them, I'm throwing them to the wolves. I'm setting them up for heartbreak. I'm setting them up for the, the reality of what I know, what my parents know what my grandparents know, what my great-grandparents know. I mean, it's, it's, it's better, you know, it's, it's better. It's just the way I see it now is like, it was overt and now it's, it's behind, you know, behind closed doors. Like you won't see it. Like somebody could say something that 
in their mind it's it's not racist it's not you know anything like that but automatically that's where my brain goes to but at the same time that's what i was taught i'm i was taught to be very aware of what's being said you know what's being said what's being shown to me what's in front of you like it's like i see this i see the world in a different lens and i don't want to teach that to my kids but it's it's so hard not to like you know my for for better context uh i'm married to a white woman i actually uh i have three kids one lives in texas and the other two live up here and uh they're all biracial um and so in the communities that I've always run, I, I grew up in the suburbs. It was predominantly white. Uh, you know, I can count the number of black kids that were in my, in my, in my school or in my grade, I'm sorry, in my grade from kindergarten to fifth grade. There's only five of us. And Just, just thinking back is like we all operated the same way. I mean, some of them, you know, they kind of, you know, they did their own thing, but we all operated in a certain type of way. So when, as we got older and started getting, you know, into sixth grade or middle school, high school and everything like that, you know, things started changing. There was more of us and everything like that, you know, because we came from, you know, all different areas or whatever. And the area started growing, but it was always the same thing. It's like, you know, we click up, we you know talk this talk that and it's just it's just a perpetuation of the same narrative over and over and over again and now that i have kids it's like you know my oldest she's 17 and with the current events and everything like that you know i used to always you know yeah i used to always tell her i'm like you know the world's gonna see you as a as a black woman it's there's no there's no getting around it you know, she would roll her eyes as a, you know, teenager should and uh, tell me, you know, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's times have changed and everything like that. And I couldn't say anything. I just, at that point, I couldn't say anything because I had to step back and let her live, you know, let her live her life and see what it is. And I've talked to her, you know, recently and she's losing friends left and right because of the because she's starting to realize and it's like it breaks my heart because I was hoping I wouldn't you know at, at this point as I'm speaking I was hoping that something like that wouldn't happen like she's like I know that can turn her heart cold because it's it's honestly it's it's turned my heart cold in certain you know situations and everything like that there's certain demographics certain certain uh you know, like I said before, certain ways I operate around certain people and I'm not being 100% myself and I don't know how to turn it off. Like I have no idea how to just be okay with being me and it sucks. So at the same, you know, just how I started, it's like I want to, I want to be able to tell my kids, hey, this is what you need to watch out for, but I know that's not going to breed change at all but I can't let go of that 
that feeling of like, hey, you know, like the like the story of a uh, story of your son running through the neighborhood. That that scared that scared me. You know, like I I wake up and you know I live out in Eagle River and I'm running through the neighborhood. It's like five thirty six in the morning and I don't run my normal route. You know, but you know they have trails and everything. You know, everything like that. I don't run my normal route through the trails. I run my route on the street. And this is happening as I'm running. Like, all right, you know, I'm about to make it right here. I'm like, ah, maybe I shouldn't. And then I'll go on the, you know, the main street. So where I'm, I'm not tucked behind anyone's house. I'm nowhere near, you know, running through someone's yard or, you know, a lot of them come out through cul-de-sacs and everything like that. And it's like, you know, I had to laugh at myself. Like, why are you, why are you, you know, thinking of this? Like, but I noticed that in that moment that that's, that's just how I think. And It, it just, it sucks. It, it sucks to have to, to realize, like in this moment, you know, I'm, I'm almost 40 and I can't remember a time at all that life hasn't, or life in this macro situation hasn't been like this. Like the first, my first introduction was Rodney King, Spike Lee movies. Uh, public enemy you know did a biography on Malcolm X you know I mean all this like it's just it's a way of life at this point and it's something that I don't want to pass down to my kids but in the same sense I feel like I have to like I don't want to leave them you know out stuck you know it's just it is what it is at this point for me but I can feel the the pull on which direction should I go like I don't you know I don't know so yeah the the, the conversations at home the conversations with yourself how you think how you look at you know different people is is very important because I know my kids even my oldest up until this point she didn't think like that and I never you know my oldest I never really overtly like told her hey this is what it is blah 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 but you know I made sure to slide it in there every, every so often hey watch out you do know you're a black girl they're gonna look at you a certain type of way and you know I might have you know continued that that thought process in her my youngest they're not there yet and I don't think I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> It's, I'm hoping by the time they get, you know, where they need to be or old enough that they'll, they can see the world differently than what it is right now. Thank you. Chris, is your daughter here in Anchorage? You're a 17 year old? No, yeah. she's not. Okay. So you were saying that um, 
because of Black Lives Matter kind of blowing up the way that it has, she's finally beginning to experience um, systemic racism for the first time. Right. You know, the search for identity, the search for meaning, uh, being able to answer the question of who am I? We realize the world is a broken place for many reasons, but I don't have to be broken, right? We as individuals don't have to be broken. Um, so again, back to healing, right? It's like going within, knowing who you are while still knowing that the world is broken, <laughs> but being able to pass the healing on so that one person at a time, one day at a time, the world becomes a, a safer place, a better place. It becomes a place that upholds the very values we've said that we believe all of humanity wants. Um, but there's no way to trickle love and, and peace and freedom. There's no way to trickle it down from the top. That's the, those are the very values that our country was supposed to be built on, right? Supposed to be. That was the, the language that was used. That was the constitution that was written. But we can see how we can use the words all day long and mean something very different, right? Well, it's peace and freedom for some people, not really everyone. Or we'll say that now you can have peace and freedom, but really, you know, it's not exactly what we had in mind, right? And there's a lot of drama or there's a lot of hurt centered around that if we at least for my part i realize i can't look to the government or any institutions to to bring about those life values i'm the person who has to bring that about and you are the person who has to bring that about um yeah well if there's no more stories or any other questions things you'd like to share we can end it there um i know there may be some individual things you'd like to share one-on-one -on -one with me you know i'm i'm a very open very emotional being so don't hesitate to to pull me aside if you want to talk further um Anything else, anyone? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for coming. listening to the healing voice podcast the next talk message for healing part three is coming soon